Good morning. It is a beautiful Thursday here in the Midwest on the Joe Moran Show uh, with your host, Joe Moran. Um, always talking all things business, finance, markets, currencies, uh, and whatever other things are interesting. Um, as well, right? I mean, we're talking all things that are driving the needle right now. So, what's happening this morning? Well, Christian Lagarde had a press conference from the ECB this morning, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. I wanna I do want to get into Woodward's book about Trump. Um, and you know the importance or really lack of importance uh, from the book, what it means, what it doesn't mean, um, at least from my point of view. So I want to touch on that. We have new unemployment data that came out today uh, regarding claims. So that's going to be important to go go through as as we always talk about monetary and fiscal stimulus. We've got Bitcoin has made a move. Uh, I believe it's found a floor. Uh, so I want to talk about that in context to the other currencies, um, most notably the euro and the DXY or the dollar index. Uh, so you know, cover those issues and then wrap it up with some comments that um, that I made on LinkedIn and really what I'm driving for, what I'm striving for um, regarding my thoughts and mission uh, with my LinkedIn posts. So that's today's show. Uh, we got a big day today here in the Midwest. The uh, National Football League is back. The Super Bowl winners, the Kansas City Chiefs play tonight. And uh, things are starting to feel slowly that we're getting back to normal. So from a uh, from a personal kind of perspective, I'm excited about that and trying to get back to the way things sort of were uh, when it comes to sports, activities, personal relationships, engaging with people, right? Um, I think we're slowly starting to get back to that, even though the world we live in and the world going forward, you know, is going to continue to be different. So that's today's show. Uh, hope everybody uh, is having a wonderful day so far. And let's get started. So Christian Lagarde had her conference today. And, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert on the ECB, right? I have no shame in saying that. Um, they're in a really tough spot, right? So the Euro nations are tied together from a monetary standpoint perspective, right? You got the ECB, you got the central bank. That's a kind of a heavy, uh, has a heavy hand, is a major player in this game. And then... You have a 
fiscal structure where every entity or every country, if you will, is responsible for their own fiscal spending. And this has created a lot of challenges in Europe with the northern countries being a little more conservative, you know, being a little more um, austerian when it comes to spending. And then your southern European countries like Spain, Italy, Greece, who are more spenders, right, and consumers and not so much savers. So there's this challenge there, right? There's this kind of, uh, there's this uh, bifurcation of how the European um, nations are structured and being part of the, uh, the Eurozone and what that means. But essentially there's a lack of alignment, right? Between fiscal and monetary, the monetary parties. So. Lagarde, and we know this from the currency action over the past, let's call it week and a half, two weeks, is when the euro hit 1.2 relative to the dollar, it immediately came down. There was a significant drop once it hit, once it approached that 1.2 quality of number. We saw it, right? And that was probably 10 to 12 days ago. And the dollar since then has been on a steady rise, steady rise uh, up until up until yesterday. So Lagarde's talking and, you know, and she says, hey, we're you know, we're looking at the FX. We're looking at the euro. Um, we don't want it to get stronger. But, I mean, it is what it is, right? They can't control it. You know, from a fundamental standpoint, a lot of the analysts, a lot of the economists are saying that the euro fundamentally is, excuse me, is undervalued compared to the dollar. And so you're going to see Currencies, investments, you're going to see investments, foreign investments in that currency, right? Which is going to drive it up because it's undervalued. Well, the challenge is a strong currency hurts your inflation target. And Europe is under extreme deflationary pressures, extreme pressures. They've got an aging population, first and foremost, which is kind of at its core, what's happening. Relative to the United States, historically, it's underperformed, right? So they get less investment. They already have negative interest rates in Europe to try to stimulate 
spending to drive inflation. And they haven't been able to do it. They haven't been able to do it. And so she's talking, she's talking, and then as you watch it, the euro starts ticking up. And it actually eclipses 1.19 after being kind of at the low 1.18 all of yesterday. So 100 pips, it already moved. And I anticipate that that move is going to continue. Uh, I mean, the dollar within the last, let's call it 24 hours, hit a high at 93.66, there are the DXY, if you will, 93.66, and it's at 92.81 already. So it's coming back significantly. And so again, you've got this race, right? It's a race to the bottom. A stronger currency limits your GDP, limits your growth, right? Because your multinationals suffer. Um, the United States and the Fed are not going to sit back and let their dollar get stronger either. So they're going to try to sell it to help the United States grow up the United States GDP. And all of this just means more printing, more quantitative easing, more driving for uh, inflation, which because of the debt, because of the demographics, because there's not many arrows left in their quiver, because of technology, it's just going to be very difficult. Very difficult. I don't the euro. I mean, you know, they're they're coming out with forecasts and inflation targets, and it's like, look, guys, they're not even coming close to two percent. Not even coming close. And the United States isn't going to come close either, unless you start doing helicopter money, right? They're just going to send it directly to you, and you know that's the only thing that's going to bring back inflation in terms of how they measure it. Now there's inflation, right? And we know this. There's inflation in other areas of the economy, but that's not how they measure it. It's not how they measure it. They don't measure food as part of inflation. So when you go to the grocery bill or the grocery store and your prices and your bills up 20, 30% over what it was last year, that's inflation. They're just not capturing that inflation. So. It's, you know, and it's no different than with the Fed, but the ECB, it's more of the same. Continued printing. Look, we're monitoring the FX rates, but it doesn't drive policy. However, their policies aren't going to stop the euro from appreciating because, again, you've got this race to the bottom. The fundamentals, you talk to the analysts, you talk to the economists, the fundamentals suggest that the euro is undervalued, that the European markets, equity markets are undervalued, and there could be a push for investment into these, into these, uh, into these asset classes. So we'll see.
right? We'll see. It's just something we're going to monitor. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the DXY is it's been trending and trading in a range that's kind of 94 to 92, right? So as it's approaching 94, you get the pullback. Will it drop all the way down to 92 before it bounces back up? Probably get close to there and then bounce back up. And honestly, this is what it's been doing for the last month or so. So, you know, we'll keep our eyes on it, but I think it's more of the same. Um, every country is just, you know, you push and then you pull. You push and then you pull and then you push and you pull and nothing's really happening other than the balance sheets continue to get bigger, the numbers continue to get bigger, um, and they are, uh, they're just not letting free markets happen and do the manipulation. This is what we're left with. This is what we're left with. It's just a game of money printing and who can control, uh, the currency, even though they're saying that they don't want to control the currency. We need to talk about Woodward in the book and Trump and the pandemic and what it means or what it doesn't mean. We need to get into that. But I think, you know, on the backdrop of what the ECB and their conference, I want to dive right into unemployment. So initial claims, pure initial claims was 884,000. So really no change over last week's and last week's data it's not getting better the job market's not getting better continuing continuous claims 13.4 million again it's not getting better out there there's almost 30 million people in the united states that receive some form of assistance some form of benefit uh, from socioeconomic pros social economic programs almost 30 million, 29.6 million. And that number's not getting better. So we can hear all these things about the economy's getting stronger, it's rebounding. You know, everybody's getting excited by this manipulated data, right, that comes out from the uh, Trump administration in order to get the market higher, right? But it's not getting better. It's not. And there's going to be a demand gap. And there is a demand gap that's forming in the market. And that's what the sell-off recently was about. Was about the demand gap. Now the market is getting somewhat hot and bothered. Because the Senate is likely to vote on a skinny fiscal bill that has no chance of passing. 300 billion, get out of here with that. It's not doing anything. 300 billion doesn't fill the demand gap. It doesn't, it's a waste of time. Don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. That's all it is, it's a waste of time. But, for political reasons, they need to do it. And what's interesting even in the bill is it stops the Fed from continued stimulus on everything related to the pandemic. At least that's what they're pushing for, right? At the time of the election, the Fed can no longer do X. 
Now, why the election? Well, I mean, there's a couple things. Do the Republicans in the Senate, does Mitch McConnell think Trump's done? If he thinks Trump's done, McConnell will not, he will not fear breaking from Trump to save what he thinks is his party and their position of power in the Senate. So he's going to do everything he can to maintain that position of power as a check against Biden if Biden wins the election. Right? He's going to do that. And that's really what this bill was all about. They were trying to get a bill passed by the Republicans to use it for political reasons at the time of an election. It doesn't have anything to do with getting support to the people. It's all about political motivation. And this is really the this is really the problem that I have with the whole system. Nothing matters to the politicians other than getting elected. That's it. It's the only thing that matters to them is getting elected. And so they pursue these political driven agendas as a way to maintain power. So they had a $1 billion or sorry, $1 trillion bill a month ago, which they pulled back. They couldn't even get it approved by their own caucus. So they pulled it back. And now they're offering a $300 billion. You're talking about 30% of what they previously offered. And that's what they're going, that's what they're going to the table with. Um, and I think it's because they know they got to pass something and they know Trump is, Trump's in trouble. And so if as the market continues to struggle, right, and it doesn't rebound quite as quickly as everybody would like, uh, it's running out of, you know, frankly, just it's just running out of air, right? Because there's less stimulus that's driving it. The stimulus isn't there to meet the demand gap. So the market's pulling back. Makes sense. But I think McConnell knows Trump's in significant trouble. And as we get closer to the election, and if that's true, and the polls don't show a significant change in Trump's favor, then McConnell isn't going to do what's necessary uh, from a fiscal perspective um, and from a Congress congressional perspective to help Trump um, win. McConnell's just going to be worried about maintaining power in the Senate. He's going to change his focus and he's going to hope, right, that the constituents and the citizens of this country forget that the Republicans have basically been in lockstep with Trump since Trump won the nomination in 2016. So, you know, that's my opinion on what's happening. Uh, the bill has no chance of being passed. Zero, nada. And it's really unfortunate because we've got a lot of people that are struggling out there. They don't have jobs. They can't find jobs. They can't afford to eat. You got inflation in other areas that's not being measured, like the grocery store. When they go to the grocery store, their meat's up 10%. Milk's up 15%, right? When you're talking about $2 or $3, 15% is not a lot. But overall, when you take 100 bucks 
or a $150 grocery bill, and you tack 15, 20, 30%, it starts to add up and it becomes meaningful. Um, and so the people that need the assistance the most aren't getting it and they're getting crushed because there's inflation um, and the things that they actually buy. So I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I know there was news that came out that said Pelosi uh, was not going to tie the stimulus package to funding the government. And, you know, that's that has to be done by the end of uh, September, early October. But I just she holds all the leverage in this game. And she's not backing off a big number. She's not. She's willing to negotiate, but she's not backing off a big number. And it's because she has the leverage. It's all about leverage. So we'll see it. We'll just keep track like we have like we have been. Um, you know, it's it's there's just something new, right? Every single day that's coming out. Something new. And we're gonna stay on top of it. We have an obligation to stay on top of it. You know, while all this is kind of happening, you know, the markets pulled back, went from 29,000 on the Dow to almost breaking 27,000. So 2,000 in the last week. So almost, I mean, honestly, you know, 10% pullback, right? Natural retracement probably needed to happen. Uh, but what was interesting is Bitcoin was traveling, you know, was trading at, let's call it a 12, you know, really a range between 11,800 and let's call it 12.3, right? So it was did that for a few days and then it pulled all the way back to 10. Now, when I started really paying attention to Bitcoin was earlier this year, right? And Bitcoin would approach 10, it hit 10, and then it would immediately take a thousand, a 10% haircut. And it repeated this cycle for probably two months, right? It would hit 10, it would come back to 92, and then it would slowly kind of inch its way back up to 10, and then it would fall, you know, so on, so on, and so on. And it just repeated this. Well, now we've had this 11 to 12, and then went from 12 all the way to 10. But the 10,000 number, I believe, is established as the new floor. Right, it went to 99 and something, but then immediately popped back up. I think it's been established as the new floor. Right, we've got enough people buying, enough demand coming into the market that even if there's fluctuations that happen in the derivative space, even if that happens, and it's happening, right? If people are shorting it, um, shorting the future and buying the spot, you know, d depending on how they're structuring their, uh, their trades in the derivative market, I think that is now unimportant when it comes to the actual price in terms of the floor, because I think the floor has been set. I think it's been set. And this morning, it was popping almost to 10.5. And so as the market's starting to rebound, as the dollar starting to weaken, as the euro and the ECB say, hey, we're just going to print, print, print. We see Bitcoin starting to go up. 
And I suspect that this trend is only going to continue, right? The economics are too far in its favor uh, for it to not continue. But I do think a new floor has been set at 10. And, you know, everybody's worried about filling this CME gap uh, at like 96 and how that has to happen. It doesn't have to happen. Um, not if there's enough demand, right, that uh, supplants the derivative uh, market. And the reality is Bitcoin's market cap is at, let's call it 200 billion. So it takes less demand, right? Organic demand, people actually buying it and holding it, which is happening. And that's what's happening. Look what's happening on the exchanges relative to the supply. It's dropping. So the amount available to sell is being taken away from people actually buying the asset and holding it on their balance sheet. And so the derivatives are going to have less influence, right? As people become holders. You know, I saw something interesting on Twitter the other day where a Bitcoin podcast, a specific Bitcoin podcast, is the number one finance podcast in Lebanon where they're going through a currency crisis. So the Lebanese people, they're buying it. And they're using it instead of their currency. And the problem is when that happens, there's a feedback loop. And uh, and it's a real challenge for the governments that are trying to stabilize their domestic currency when the people are opting out. They're opting out of the system um, because it's too volatile a system. So... That's what's happening on the Bitcoin front. Again, you know, the Fed's going to do whatever they can to hit inflation targets, which is going to be damn near impossible, right? Due to technology, due to demographics, um, due to debt levels. And so helicopter money, you know, it's likely coming uh, to a country near you. But it's just challenging. It's challenging. And it's going to be a challenge for the Fed. And, you know, I expect that regardless, even if there's not a fiscal package. So let's say we don't get a fiscal package before the election. I think that almost kills Trump's chances of re-election. Uh, the market's going to suffer and it's going to hemorrhage uh, some of the gains. Um, but, I mean, the Dems want to go all in, right? They want to go all in on a $3 trillion package. So what do you think is going to happen if the Dems win? There's going to be a huge package. Next year, when we really start to feel the pain and see the pain and suffering from the pandemic and the permanent job losses, there's going to be significant fiscal policy. Significant policy. So, we'll keep a lookout. We'll be tracking it. We'll be understanding the players, their motivations, their incentives, how they're thinking about the situation and what they're trying to accomplish, right? It's all we can do. It's all we can do to be proactive and stay ahead of the game. 
Now, the Woodward book, <laughs> you know, everybody's up, up in arms about Bob Woodward not releasing these quotes about how Trump knew that the pandemic was deadly. It was five times deadlier than the flu. And everybody's frustrated that he's held on to these tapes since February. And, I mean, I sort of understand it, right? I can sort of understand the frustration because it looks like Woodward did it just to drop right before the election so he could sell his book. And there's probably some truth to that. Um, you know, in terms of Woodward's uh, psyche. You know, he's saying, hey, I had to make sure that it was accurate. I mean, come on. It came, it came right from his mouth. So that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, for me, does it change anything? Would there be any difference in where we are today if those tapes had been released, if we knew exactly what Trump was thinking um, in those quotes, if we knew that back in February or even March? And in my opinion, it doesn't change anything. Right? If you think Trump is a liar and manipulates information in order to help him win an election. That's what I think, right? I've been transparent. Those are my feelings about it. But if that's what, if you have that position, then the tapes are not a shocker, right? We, If you think that you already think he's a scumbag, you think he's a liar and it doesn't matter. It's not going to influence your vote in November. Um, and then on the other side, if you're a Trump supporter and you think that everything he says is great or he just bullshits the media and feeds them bullshit because he distrusts them, then you're not going to see anything wrong with the tape or the book. Right. You just won't. And honestly, does it change anything? He's still in charge. He's still, because he doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to uh, inflict panic, right, um, about this, even though he inflicts, you know, tries to inflict panic on other things. But he was going to always act the way that he was going to act, and it's because he's a poor operator. If you've bankrupted as many companies as he's bankrupted, in a world of easy monetary and fiscal conditions, then you're just a poor operator. He's been unorganized. He can't build a coalition. He can't build consensus on how to solve problems. And so they were always gonna be chasing the tail on this pandemic, always. It just, it, it, to me, it just doesn't, it, yeah, he's lying to the American people, but he's already done that a thousand times, right? Like that just doesn't get me excited. Doesn't get me excited. It's hard for me to get worked up about it. It just reinforces what I already thought. And again, will the outcome be different? No, because he's in charge and he's a bad operator. He's a bad operator. He's a bad operator, plain and simple. Plain and simple. And 
That's not going to change. That's who he is. All right? He's over 70 years old. He's been a bad operator for the past 30, 40 years. And that's okay. But you just got to see it for what it is and understand that if you got another if we got another 4 years of this, it's going to be more bad operating. Anytime there's a crisis, he doesn't know how to handle it. Because he's just going to spoon food you whatever you want to hear, whatever he thinks you want to hear, to put himself in the best position. He's never going to give you the facts. He's just going to tell you what he thinks you want to hear. That's it. To make him look the best. That's it. <laughs> it's not complicated. It's not complicated. So there's no reason to get upset about it. If you're upset about it, then vote. If you're not upset about it, if you're a Trump supporter and think the media is bullshit, then you're going to vote, right? No reason to get emotional. So, you know, I've heard all the hubbub, right, and all the uproar, and, and I, I just, I honestly, I just don't see it. I just don't get it. But, you know, we'll see. He's already trying to distract everybody with the Supreme Court nominees and his list. And it's, it, 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 it's just, it's just what it is, guys. So I can't, I can't get upset about it. I can't get upset about it. But I'm also going to vote. I'm also going to vote. And, you know, everybody says there's still movement in the polls and, you know, what are the polls? I honestly think that there aren't very many people on the sidelines today that don't know what they're going to do. I think minds are made up, right? And so there's probably going to be an October surprise. They're going to try whatever they can to influence the election. But people's minds are made up. They're made up. So go vote. If something negative comes out about Trump and you're a Trump supporter, you're not going to believe it, right? And you're going to say, he's my guy. Look at what he's done. I believe in his policies. Yeah, he's an asshole, but I agree with a lot of what he's done, so I'm going to support him. That's what you're going to say. And if you're on the other side, you're going to say, yeah, he's an asshole. He lies. He's not presidential. He hasn't done anything to you know, help the U.S. All he's done is create chaos. Then you're going to vote. So I just I just don't see it as that big of a deal. And, you know, unfortunately, we're in a world where the media is just driving for clicks, right? Because the media landscape is even being decentralized. And so they have to play shock yet journalism to get clicks, to get engagement. And I think that's what some of the pushback is on Woodward. Um, which I think there is some legitimacy to, um, to that, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. At least not for me.
Not for me. You know, I always try to be forward thinking. I try to look at the motivations, understand the incentive structure, why people do what they do. Look at it from their perspective. Because when you look at it from their perspective, it grants you and it gives you a window into their soul. And then you can make the best decision that's for you or for any other party that you're trying to support. That's the way that I view things. And that's the way that I've always tried to approach everything, um, especially relationships. Now, I think there's good, I think there's benefits to that approach. I think there's some negatives to that approach, but that's in my approach. And recently, I've started to post more and more content and thoughts on LinkedIn. Um, and it's interesting, I had a conversation with somebody last week, a uh, previous partner of mine uh, in the business space. And he's like, hey, you're, you know, you're pushing out kind of this anti-corporate America, you know, big business, you know, et cetera, with, with some of your content on LinkedIn. And I can see how somebody would interpret my messaging as anti-corporate America. Um, but I don't think that that's not how I view it. Right, that's not how I view it. The way that I view it is I'm pro the individual. I'm pro employee, right? I'm pro decentralization. And we talked about this. I think there's been a huge, huge, uh, let's just call it you know, exposure, right? There's a huge light that's been shown on centralized institutions, whether it's the government, federal level, state level, organizations, companies, doesn't matter, um, in terms of how they were acting. And I think it was largely negative, and I think the pandemic exposed a lot of them uh, for acting in their own self-interest, not giving a shit about the, um, the individuals and it's creating a lot of problems. And so my point and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell people and inform people that in today's world, in the technology world, you don't have to work for a big company to be successful. But the rules of games have changed because of technology. You can make as much money or more money doing something that you're passionate about in the internet age than you can working for a company where you're miserable because your alignments, your beliefs, your value systems don't match. And as corporations, have mostly been playing a single player game where they're only focused on their profitability and they don't give a shit about any of the stakeholders in their business, they're being exposed. 
And I want people to understand that in the digital age, in the internet age, in the information age, that you can work for a company 3,000 miles away. You don't like where you're at? Leave. There's plenty of options. Because companies are going to use the digital age for a talent arbitrage, right? Here's Silicon Valley. You don't want to pay Silicon Valley prices for talent. Well, then you're going to go hire somebody in the Midwest, right? You get somebody just as talented in the Midwest at probably 50% off, okay? Well, if you're an employee, if you're an employee in the Midwest, you now have the ability to go target companies globally outside of your geographical area, and you can get the job that you want to get because of the digital age. You're no longer stuck. The tools are there, the ability is there, and it's up to you to make it happen. But you can make it happen. And that's what I'm trying to talk about. Right? I believe centralized institutions have failed us. Okay? So that's since day one. But individuals have never had the tools that we have today to be in control of our own destiny. Now you could do it before, but it was harder. It has never been easier than it is today. It just hasn't. And I'm going to continue to talk about it because everybody that I talked about it feels similar. Nobody, they're just afraid to say it. So we're going to talk about it. And it's something that I'm passionate about. So that's it for today. I'm fired up for the Chiefs game tonight. Um, super excited that it feels like kind of the relationships, the interactions, sports are coming back, right? So we can get back into this rhythm. Now the world has changed, right? But it's important for us to feel like the relationships and some of these things that we really enjoyed in our lives that they're coming back. And they're starting to come back, uh, which is fantastic news. Um, even though we're not, we're not out of the woods of the pandemic, a lot of people are struggling economically. It's not gonna get better anytime soon. Um, but again, the tools are available today for you to take the power back and for you to live the life that you want to live. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Because I'm having these conversations and people are making choices that they otherwise wouldn't have made. Five years ago, three years ago, even a year ago. Life's too short, life's too short. And if you're not happy doing what you're doing, utilize the digital world and make changes. And it's something that I'm extremely passionate about because I want people to make the best choices for them, right? So they can reach their goals and not worry about what their organization wants them to do. Because what does the organization care about? The organization cares about the organization more often than not. They don't care about the other stakeholders in the organization. They care about the shareholders. That's it. Period. So something I'm going to be talking about, something I'm passionate about, and 
I'm talking to a lot of people that feel the same way. They just don't know how to articulate it. And so I'm going to talk about it because I think there's a lot of opportunities for people to take control back and live more meaningful, happier lives. So that's it for today's show. Hope everybody is having an excellent week. I'm fired up for tonight. Uh, Super excited. And I can't wait to pick this back up tomorrow and talk about how the world has changed and what new interesting things are happening um, that happened today, right? Because every day we got new activity and there's a lot to talk about. So until tomorrow, let's keep our ears to the grindstone.